Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Monday, April 20th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Another week of player profiles coming up. Robert Haig will be our player profile coming up on Wednesday. Tyler Pitlick on Friday. The following week, Jake Voracek, Phil Myers, and Claude Giroux. And then uh, Brian Elliott, Ivan Proveroff, and Kevin Hayes the week after that. If you missed any of the prior player profile episodes, and we've had a ton of these players on the podcast, uh, whether that be Joel Farabee last week, Sean Couturier, Derek Grant. Uh, we'll hear from Derek Grant today. We did his player profile on Friday, uh, but I had a conversation with Derek later on Friday afternoon. You'll hear that in this episode. Also did Michael Raffle, Travis Konechny, uh, Matt Niskanen, James Van Rienstijk, uh, Travis Sanheim, Justin Braun, Nicholas Albe-Kubel, and Scott Lawton as well. And many of those players uh, have appeared on the podcast. Also, Michelle Terry and Flyers assistant coach joined us last week as well. Friday's episode uh, also had Ian LaPay. Perrier join us. I'm hoping to have uh, Elaine Vigneault join us this week, so uh, we'll find out if that is to come to fruition. Uh, follow my Twitter handle for the information on that, at Jason Mert, and you can always post questions there as well for Flyers Daily. And this is the uh, player profile episode of Shane Goss, the Baron. Joining us for this episode will be uh, former Flyer defenseman Chris Terrian. Great conversation with Bundy. And then, like I mentioned, uh, we'll also have a conversation with Derek Grant after our player profile of Shane Goss, the Now, Shane Goss, uh, played 42 games this season for the Philadelphia Flyers. He's got five goals, seven assists, 12 points, a minus four on the season. He's been plagued by injury throughout this season. Uh, it's been an issue for him. Tried to come back from the injury earlier this year. Uh, just was not there and decided to go back out, had that knee cleaned up, eventually had a rehab stint with the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. Did get back with the Flyers for just a game, though, was when he came back and he was healthy enough. Team was on that nine-game winning streak, but was able to get back uh, for the last game before the pause on March 10th against the Boston Bruins. That was a loss for the Flyers, but it was not anything on Shane Gossespierre. I thought he played really well in that game. One of the uh, best performances of the season, as a matter of fact, for Shane Gossespierre. Looked confident, moved well, and all of those things. Uh, but obviously a year for uh, Shane Gossespierre that has been difficult two difficult years in a row after a 65-point season back in 2017-18. And we'll see if Ghost can get back to that level of player uh, that the Flyers really uh, hope he can be because he can really provide a lot for this team. And when you consider the fact that the Flyers are leading the NHL in uh, defensive scoring from defensemen, uh, and Shane Gossespierre's only got 12 points. It's pretty pretty crazy uh, to, to to imagine that that's the possible that that's the case uh, with Gossespierre having this down offensive season and uh, for the Philadelphia Flyers. And we'll see if maybe this pause could help a player like Shane Gossespierre. Maybe sometimes a player needs a break that's more than just rehabbing or uh, going out and getting some work done, uh, whether it's a surgery or something with an injury. Maybe this kind of break is just what the doctor ordered for Shane Gostisbehere. So to talk about that and much more, here's my conversation with Chris Terrian on Flyers Daily. Happy to have once again his second appearance now on Flyers Daily. Chris Terrian joining us. Bundy, what's going on, man? How you been? Jay, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, strange time still. I know we've talked, but uh, we're past the kind of the one-month mark. And, uh, again, I think everybody's still in that uh, wait-and-see, you know, catch-and-release type mode right now. And I don't know what else we can do, but – just kind of wait and, and hope the situation gets better. Yeah, that's the thing. It's hurry up and wait, but we don't even know when we're waiting until. That's that variable of not knowing when yeah. anything's going to change. When you were playing, buddy, if this would have happened when you were playing, would it have driven you crazy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't know. You know, I'm not sure if 
I don't know how things would have, would have happened 20, 20, 25 years. I mean, I didn't retire that long ago. I retired less than that, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. I would have gone personally, me just knowing my, my demeanor and, and, you know, I'm like one of those cabin fever type guys. You can't put me in a box and, and throw away the key and leave me for a month. Cause I'm going to go crazy. Probably like a lot of other professional athletes or guys that are, are just programmed a little bit differently. So I can imagine a lot of guys are struggling with this right now because I know I would. I talked to Johnny LeClaire a couple of weeks ago, you know, old buddy, old teammate. He's like, I'm going nuts, Bundy. Like, I'm going crazy. And he goes, one of the biggest reasons is there's no sports. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that that's one of the issues. I mean, everything's been kind of like the apple cart's been upside, turned upside down. And, uh, you know, things that we were so – used to, to having at our access before uh, just isn't there right now. So it'll, it'll be back, but I do, I'm, I'm with you, dude. I just don't know. I don't know if anybody really knows what's going on. Yeah. I think that's the frustrating part of this. I think the only thing we do know is from the league and, and the players is that they're going to do everything they can to play. But again, that the science yeah. is out of everybody's hands. We don't know. Um, but, but Bundy, when you look at it and you know, what's, what's the pitfall, we're going to get to the Shane Gosses bear. Um, player profile in a minute but you know with playing so late and what's going to be the key for teams if they do come back in say you know a, a training camp in late June and then play in July what's going to be the key to come out of that gate strong because there's going to be teams that don't and there's going to be some teams that do and we don't know what the right buttons for the coaches to push but as a former player what would be the best way you would think to handle the players to get the most out of them right out of the shoot? Well, the, first of all, there's never really been any kind of situation like this. So I think from the physical standpoint, your body becomes its own clock as a, as a pro athlete or even a guy in college. You know, you get your mind gets used to the, you know, May, June, July, August off or June, July and August. If you're if you go all the way to the end uh, and then you know that your season starts in October, pretty much the intensity and goes through April. That's the regular season. This year, I think it's going to come down to a couple things if they're able to go through with this in play. How well did guys keep themselves in shape so that a 10 or a 14 day camp, 10 days seems to be pretty much unanimous. I think Jason talking to guys like, uh, like Chief Barubi, uh, you know, Mark Recchi last week. I think everybody seems to think the number is 10 days because okay. the training camp in, 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 uh, in September is three and a half weeks or three weeks. They've even shortened it. That 10 days is enough to resume a schedule that's already seen 65 games played already this year with a hiatus. So how long is that hiatus? I don't know. I have no idea how long the hiatus is. Uh, from a standpoint, is it, is it going to be two months? Is it three months? Is it four months? The biggest trick is what kind of shape did guys keep themselves in so that the 10-day restart or the 10-day training camp is the most efficient that you could possibly run? Now, there's, what is there, 800 guys in the league? Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, there will not be 800 players that are going to keep in shape. I will promise you that right now. They can say it, and they're going to be like, oh, well, how do you know? I know. Trust me. I know. That's the way it's going to be. There's gonna, so they're going to have to use that 10 days as wisely as possible if you do play. You know, and I asked Craig last week, Ruby again, I said to him, what does a playoff like this teams that didn't get in that were on the bubble that still felt they had a fighting chance and a, and a, a privileged schedule down the stretch, how's that going to work? I said, can they possibly do, you know, a one-game type of scenario? He said, no, I don't think one game like basketball, like the college tournament will work, but maybe a two game or like a best two out of three or three out of five to try to get that, the play in teams. Like they're going to expand it. I think that's one thing we're going to see. We're going to see a playoff expansion of other teams, giving them that opportunity. 
uh, yeah. to play. But I don't think it's, it's – I just don't think, Jason, based on talking to enough of these guys, the coaches that are talking to Gary Bettman, to their general managers, to everybody that's getting all the trickle-down information, it just doesn't quite sound uh, like that's going to be a case. They want to do it with some kind of um, some kind of dignity to everybody involved uh, with respect to the teams that did have a good regular season before this thing started. Uh, so there's a lot of things they have to be mindful of, uh, but there's also a lot of a lot of um, uh, heaps that they're going to have to jump over uh, or, or or crawl through to make this happen because it's it, it's going to be come down to the neutral sites. It looks like four locations may be what they're talking. I just don't. I, I do think one thing for the 2019-2020 season, by all accounts, and I think you probably agree, it looks like there's just going to be no way that teams can return to their home buildings because of the different things that are going on in different states and different cities. Yeah, I do agree with that. I think if we're going to get something in, it's going to be neutral sited uh, four different locations no to pass. start. Yeah, all over North America, maybe Grand Forks, maybe New Hampshire, maybe Saskatoon and somewhere else, who knows. Uh, but yeah, and, and the, the part about the playoff field expanding, yeah, I know one of the scenarios that was thrown out was a 2014 playoff field. And when you do that, of all those 24 teams, first of all, nobody's under 500, which to me is, is makes it more palatable. And you also get Chicago yep. and Montreal in that scenario. And this helps recapture money because of TV money in those big markets. So it's just, it's just part of the equation. Yeah. We have and to right. live that. And the Rangers too, right? Yeah, like New absolutely. York. I mean, that's a, a big one too. Yeah, yeah, those two. So yeah, I mean, you get two original six teams coming in. I think Detroit might have a hard time selling themselves. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, but again, you know, that happens. Teams have up and down type of years, but uh, it'll be interesting. And, and and again, the neutral sites. You know, I don't know how they're going to come to that. Um, I just know that there's been discussion. I know that there's there's optimism. But again, how much of this is is the following of the science? And uh, and and I guess another thing that that uh, you know, comes into play a lot in the world we live in today is, uh, uh, you know, what are the legal ramifications that are involved that really nobody knows about except the lawyers involved. And uh, that's part of, out of our pay grade, buddy. Yeah. Well, the other part too is, you know, with the cap, it, they're going to try and do everything they can to keep it flat at 81 and a half. Um, but who knows if they do that when they were projecting it to be upwards of maybe 86, that uh, do they give teams a compliance buyout with no cap uh, recapture or hit on that? So that, that is another variable yep. here that teams may have to be dealing with. Um, you know, a team like yep. the Rangers, Bundy, you know, they, they went into the trade deadline and instead of trading Kreider, they signed him to a nice lucrative seven-year contract. Now, all of a sudden, because of the mm -hmm. pandemic, they're in a real pinch because of that. So uh, we'll see what happens in that regard. Yeah, and, and and listen, I don't want to mention any team's names or anything, but you just mentioned the New York Rangers. The New York Rangers are going to be fine at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. It's another team. Imagine another smaller market team that made a signing like that to really better their franchise. That's a problem. That's a major, major problem. And, you know, when you go around the NHL or any other building for that uh, uh, that matter, NBA, I mean, there's some buildings that just are not sold out every single night. So, yeah, there's going to be a trickle down, unfortunately, that will affect everybody. Yeah, some of the franchise not as uh, financially healthy as others. Let's get to the uh, player profile of Shane Gossespierre, and I got to hit you on a couple things after we do that. Um, but but Ghost has sure. had obviously Bundy a, a very uneven year. You know, he he was kind of going back and forth from good year to uh, not so good year, and then rebounding. Uh, you know, in 2015-16, he burst on. He had the 17 goals, 29 to six, 46 points in 64 games, and then the following year, just seven goals. 32 assists and 39 points. But then he rebounded again with a 13-52 and 65 points. Last year, yet another down year, 9-28 and 28 for 37 points. And then this year, 
banged up a little bit with injuries and, you know, five goals and seven assists. It's amazing the team leads the NHL in scoring amongst defensive defensemen um, without getting really a whole lot from Shane Gossespierre. Um, is this break, this pause, you know, could that be a good thing to give him a, a huge reset as well? I think so. Yeah, and I, it gives him an extra chance to get healthier. You know, a lot of those guys that go through those those type of surgeries and stuff there, uh, you know, as Giroux did a few years ago, a couple of years back, it takes a little bit of time. So I think from that, yes. I, I mean, I listen, I mean, would, would I rather be playing instead of worrying about guys mending injuries? Of course. I mean, that's the way it goes. But, you know, I think that being said, I think it, it's – you know, I, when I look at a guy like Shane, and I've seen a lot of guys come through. You know, I was one of those guys, a different body than, than Ghost, a different type of player. But I think what they look for after about year three, if they have you down as a project and they say, okay, listen, this is a guy we're going to look at for a couple of years. We're going to give him, we're going to let him play. We're going to give him an opportunity. And then when that three-year window comes up, and I think this is how they do things, uh, they reevaluate exactly where they are. And then they decide whether to resign you or not. Usually you have a pretty good idea, a foundation, uh, a thought process on how that player is. I think one thing they're looking for right now with Ghost, I don't think that we're ever going to see a reduplication of his rookie numbers. There's too much video evidence for guys to go over. And once they get the book on you, those numbers do go down unless you're an exceptional talent, like a Mario Lemieux or Wayne Gretzky where nobody can figure out what you're doing. Um, so I don't think his numbers will ever go back up again. That being said, he's a better player than the numbers he's had this year, even through injury. So, but what do I want to see from Shane Gosper? I want to see a more intense competitor in the D zone. I want to see a guy who's more diligent in the D zone. Um, he's been a little bit better. It's not like he's given away all his offense to become rock solid in the zone. But if there's one thing that they look for, it's great to have offensive skill, but it doesn't mean much as a defense, but unless you're willing to do a little bit of both. And I always say when I talk about Shane Gosper, he's got a world of talent. He's got a world of skill. Um, Duncan Keith is a very similar type of player to Shane Gosper. The difference between Duncan Keith and Ghost right now is that Duncan Keith, he really competes his butt off and he knows exactly what he's doing in the defensive zone um, without wrecking guys or without putting them through the boards because he's not a real big guy either. And he's a guy that was, you know, gobbling up 30 minutes a night in his prime. Now that's caught up to him at this point in his career, and this isn't about Duncan Keith, it's about what I think Ghost can be. And I think he can be a scaled-down version of that for a long time in this league. When I say a scaled-down version, a guy that can get you 40 points, uh, maybe 17, 18 minutes a night, and really does do a good job in his zone with a good stick and, and doing a good job against the line that he's up against. Yeah, that's very well said. And the one, th the one thing with him too, Bundy, um, to me, when he's struggling – you can see it in obviously in his play, but you can also see it in his body language. So he's an easy guy, in my opinion, to read when he's confident as a player and when he's not. He, he is, and that's one thing you can't sell. So one way or another, you always okay. want to have a poker face. You never want to. You never ever want to show your face, poker face, especially in the middle of a game. I don't see it as much. I believe that though. I mean, there's a lot of guys. Hey, I was like that. You know, it's guys that have done that. You know, you talk yourself out of it or walk yourself out of it, but I'll never throw stones in a glass house uh, without having walked through that one first. And uh, yeah, you've been there, you know, but people tell you, hey, body language is everything in, in this sport, you know, and, and, and pick it up. So uh, that's a young, I think that happens a lot more with younger guys, but he's not super young anymore. Uh, he knows the league, the league knows him. And I think as much as a league can, can try to figure you out through a lot of video and work, uh, you can, you can, you can counter that as well. 
in, in certain ways. I think Ghost has a good future as a defenseman. Um, I just think that he's got to feel that in him. And clearly, like that one year, I mean, that rookie year, he was sensational. Well, and yeah. it was every, every single night. I mean, it was unbelievable. Um, and it was fun to watch. But, you know, right now that's not, that's not the case. Uh, he's, he came back in that – I think his first game back, actually, Jason, I'm not mistaken, was the Boston game. The Flyers had lost. They snapped the, 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 the winning streak that they had was snapped that game. But actually, Ghost played a good hockey game. He yeah. did that night against the Bruins. I was optimistic to see that. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. I thought he performed very well. He he looked confident out there, and when he's confident, he's willing to to take some of those risks to offensively, at least, uh, that he needs to to be to be effective. And and I totally agree with you too. Um, you know, once you get some stuff on tape, the NHL adjusts to you. Your job now is to adjust to the adjustment, and that's where that's what great players exactly. do. Um, hey, Bundy, real quick, um, I, I want to hit you on this because I was watching NHL Network uh, last night. That would be Saturday night as of when we're taping this. And it was sure. uh, 21 years ago on Saturday that Wayne Gretzky played his last NHL game. Of course, for the New York Rangers uh, against the Pittsburgh Penguins, they showed the game and the ceremonies thereafter and how emotional Wayne was. Um, you mm-hmm. played against Gretz. What was it like playing yeah. against, in my opinion, the greatest player to ever lace him up? So, I mean, I have to tell my Gretzky story because, you know, it's hey, listen, I mean, I was – so when I was about seven or eight years old – my my hero was maybe a little older, maybe eight, nine, I was getting there, but early in his career, like I was my the the be all end all was Paul Coffey to a lot of Canadian kids, right? Every defenseman mm-hmm. wanted to be Paul Coffey. So, I mean, years later, of course, I end up playing with Paul Coffey, which was just to me was like, you know, those Czech guys that like had a chance to play late years against Yager, like for a Czech. Yeah. They grew up like idolizing Yager. Like that was Paul Coffey to me. But I'll never forget the first year, 1994-95, we had the lockout to start the season. Yep. And that year, we only played 48 games. So we didn't get a chance to go to L.A. That year, it was only east against east and west against west because it was a condensed season. But the next year, it was uh, one of our first trips early in the year, and we were at the, the form in L.A. And listen, I mean, anybody that hadn't, I had my Mario. I'd, I'd gotten my, uh, my games in against Mario the year before. It's just, you know, when you're playing these guys, you're like, holy jeez, like, that's Mario Lemieux playing against them. Well, the next year I skated out, uh, you know, maybe 55, 60 games under my belt ent- entirely in the league. And I come out and we come out the tunnel at the forum and LA skating around. We're skating around. I go stretch at center ice and I look down and I'm like, holy shiitake mushrooms. I'm going to play Wayne Gretzky. Like it was just, you're looking down and you're thinking to yourself, like, I don't know if this is what tells you that you've gotten to the top, but you've gotten, you've gotten to the, you know, the top of that molehill and, and it was just amazing you're watching 99 across the red line skating around warming up and it's almost like it's surreal like it doesn't it, it it's not happening and it, and, it, and then it happened and uh it's something else and i ended up playing several years against gretzky four or five after that and uh uh the, the you know that level of awe went down after the first game yep. in the first warm-up but certainly playing the greatest player in my in my estimation the greatest player that's ever played uh was certainly one of the highlights of my life now, no question about it and when you're playing against him are you reticent to hit him yeah you know you know what i i, I didn't know i i was i was game for whatever um i'm trying to remember we were in la that first so he might have been on the ice against me quite a bit i do remember rubbing rubbing him up against the boards a couple times like just pushing him up he was so elusive jason he was, it was unbelievable. Like, it's almost like he'd go hit up at the boards and he'd, like, clam up. Like, he'd almost, like, he'd crawl into the boards. And it was, it, 
you just never got him. I've only seen one guy really rock him once in Philadelphia, and that was actually Luke Richardson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, wow. Like, that was – he just plastered Gretzky. Gretzky got up and skated off, but, I mean, he was just very, very hard to hit. You know, he'd do that little play where he'd come across the blue line, be on the right side, you picture the left shot, and he'd do that famous pull-up move, the stagger. Oh, yeah. And you couldn't close the gap quick enough. He'd just kind of spin off or just, you know, lull his body away from you, and you just couldn't hit him. And then the pass was made – Two guys are behind you. I mean, this guy was a master. This guy was yeah. a genius. He saw everything before it happened. And you're right. His ability to, to turn away from pressure and plays. And it, it always looked to me like he could turn at a radius that nobody else could ever turn at the same radius with speed at that time. It's crazy. <laughs> nothing, nothing else, really. I mean, I, you know, I talked to my dad, of course. He's a hockey player, a hockey guy, numerous years. And, uh, you know, I said to him once, I said, uh, you know, he said, what kind of, what's that Gretzky? What's he like on the ice? And I said, yeah, you just wouldn't believe it. So I, he saw him coming out of a game one night in Philly or something. You know, there's nothing about Wayne Gretzky's physique or his bodily makeup that suggested he would be the greatest hockey player to ever live. Yeah, I mean, he's skinny, just, you know, six foot type of guy, but man, there's just something about him. There's so his speed was, he's not a great skater, uh, but, but boy, this guy could just pile points on the board. Like, like you dream about yeah, it's just the having that IQ. Um, let me ask you about, because I know that you recanted a story on, a, I think, a Facebook video or one that you tweeted out about Bob Probert. <laughs> now, yeah, the, yeah. Probert um, was as big and mean and could throw him like nobody else. Both hands, never got tired, farm boy strong. What was it like playing against Proby? Well, Proby was at the end, right? And I think the thing, like, with, with when I look at a guy like Proby, it, it was interesting because he he wouldn't, like, he was at a, a point then where either, you know, you just didn't go near him. Like, I played with Dave Brown, so I understood it very well. Like, no, I, when I, I, Dave Brown was my first roommate. And I think that you could pretty much make a case that I think Bob Probert and Dave Brown were the two toughest guys maybe to ever play, mm-hmm. ever. Brownie was, because nobody, I mean, if you looked at Brownie's penalty minutes, he had, like, 110 in the day because nobody wanted to fight him. Every yeah. one, every one of his fights was a major, you know? Um, but, but Probert was something else. And you know, what's interesting. I was talking to guys after I actually tweeted last week to Liam McGuire, who's a hockey historian. And I said, did Brownie and Probert ever fight? Cause I didn't know that they'd had. And he said, yeah, they had twice. Brownie kind of got the first one and Probert beat him the second one. But uh, my story with Probert was, you know, a puck was getting rimmed around the, the boards and uh, it was just slow enough that it wasn't going to make it out to the blue line. And on that, on that uh, that right flank was Bob Probert uh, waiting for the puck to come around, and I'm like, you know, I'm at the I I was at the Wells Fargo Center. It wasn't there were what Tom Course dates at the time, I think, and the puck's going. I'm like, oh man, I'm like, look at this thing. It's so juicy. It's sitting there. I got to get. It was it was in Philly. I said I got to keep this in. I'm on with the Lindros line, Leclerc. I got to make sure these guys get the puck. But who's there? And I and I run Jace probably 20 feet, and I literally steamroll Probert like shoulder to chest and I, and I topple down on farm him. The puck goes back down the corner. I'm like, thank God. I'm like, am I going to pay for this one? And he goes, I fall down on top. He goes, great hit kid. Y'all right. I go, I am now. <laughs> Knowing that you're not going to pummel me. <laughs> yeah, no, you're not gonna get, but there was, there was guys come up the chain, man. Like I remember like he'd fight everybody, even in like 1996, 97. And this is well past his prime. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. It's funny. Like Liam McGuire talked about a guy like Probert or Dave Brown. He'd say, you know, Probert was an all-star. He actually had like 80 some points, 80 points maybe one year. But, um, 
you know, those, he said, you know, you can make a case for a guy like that to go in the Hall of Fame. And, and you know what? You could. You think of the amount of good feeling that his skill players had on every single team oh, he was on. Yeah. And I wonder how many points that equated to at the end of the day. Yeah. So the protection uh, and guys, you know, not being able to touch star players because he was out there as a policeman. That's, that's what I mean. You know, like did that, did that account for 75 points a year that, you know, some guy felt like he could take an extra step forward knowing that this guy wasn't going to step up because Bob Probert was on the bench or Dave Brown. It's fascinating, but you know, very much part of fabric of the NHL um, all the way up. And, and uh, I think a lot of ways that's gone now that, 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 that type of, of, um, police work is no longer part of the NHL. No, it's not. You're right. Um, if you want to go back and look at a good one, uh, Barubi fought uh, Proby, I think, seven or eight times. And the first time he fought him, yeah. he just drilled him right in the nose, uh, split it wide open. And Probert, it was, it, Chief says it was like, he, I didn't even touch him. I, I destroyed his nose. And it didn't matter. He felt nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, um, well, he got... Yeah, Probert was guy. He got better as the fights went on. But Chief did love fighting him. He used to tell me, actually, I think he did well against Probert. And there's some guys. Yeah, some some guys had some guys' numbers. It's funny hearing the stories over the years. It's good stuff, man. Really is. Uh, I solicited a couple questions on Twitter. Let me hit these to you real quick. Colin Flynn tweets in. He says, "Any uh, concerns regarding members of the Flyers' coaching staff being poached poached this offseason, given the success the team had this year?" Where did things stand in regard to their contracts, given everything that's going on? So any uh, fear that, you know, a, a team may come after uh, Michelle Terry and Mike Yo or, or any of the coaches? I mean, eight coaches were fired think, in I the think, season. <laughs> I, think, I think that um, uh, I think those coaches have been great. Uh, I note how, how highly Chief thinks of Mike Yo. He replaced them and won a cup, thinks the world of them. Um, Michelle Terrian's had jobs. He's been fired, hired multiple times. If an NHL job opens up for those guys, then we'll see you later. You know, you're going to get a pay bump and, and good oh, luck. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll find new. You know, and that's just the way it goes. It's, it's AV's, this is AV's machine. And, uh, uh, you know, I, and again, if those, if those guys were asked to go coach somewhere else, it's, uh, I, I'm certain he'd be happy as hell for them uh, and, and, and support that for sure. I know I would. Yeah, and there's and there's look, there's going to be some good coaches available. A guy like Gerard Gallant, who took the Vegas to the the finals, is available. You know, you look at Mike Babcock's sure. available. I don't know that people are you know going to be going crazy to to hire him. Hines is available. Laviolette's available. Bruce Boudreaux's available. Yeah, so there's well, going to be a lot. Of... Did Hines get hired at Nashville, or is that just another one of those? Oh, that's Twitter right. He did. I he... he did. Yes, yeah. he Got took hard. that. Yeah, yep. and, and DeBoer obviously took over um, in and, uh, Vegas. Yeah. Yeah, so it's been a little bit of a carousel. Um, Bundy, can you give any the people any suggestions? Are you watching anything good uh, on Netflix or anything like that? Any new yeah. shows? What, well, what after I got over the – I'll tell you what. I'm going to give you one off the beaten path a little bit, but it's a very popular show. Um, and after the dumpster fire that was the Tiger King, uh, I did recover from that as well as everything else going on in the world. Um, on Netflix, I really like a show – in Spanish, you can watch it in English dubbed. It's called Money Heist. Um, dude, I'm on the same um, thing. I was going to suggest it to you. I just started season two. Yeah, it's so I'm on season four. It is the best non-hyped show that I've seen from other people, and I've loved it. And let me tell you, when I tell you I've seen just about everything, I think you can concur with me on that. I've seen just about everything, and that's why I gave it a shot, and I'm really glad I did. 
Yeah, I will tell people this. When you start watching it, stick with it because by the third episode, you won't care that it's dubbed over. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it goes away. But, but do you watch it in English? Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but you know, it's dubbed over. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's like yeah, almost it's weird. Over. It's, not, it's not, yeah. not in English. Yeah, but I actually like it, though, because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. You're right. After I just get used to the, the voices, are they sound the same, and, you know, but it, it, it's a really good show. It's well done, uh, and, I, and I've enjoyed it. Yeah, I like Tokyo, man. She's a little. Fun. How about you? Anything else, Jason? Other than that one, you got one for us? Well, yeah, I've been I'm on that one. I've been binging it like crazy, um, and I got a couple other in the queue that I haven't gotten to yet. If you if you didn't watch, um, don't f with cats. <laughs> That's a crazy documentary. I I, I, um, I, I I saw that, and I'm familiar with the story. It actually went back to my hometown of Ottawa, believe it or not. So yeah, yeah, uh, right. that story that story did. Yeah, that was that was as creepy as it gets, but. <laughs> uh, so let me ask you this too yeah. uh, the jordan documentary uh the last dance i guess it's called or whatever uh is yeah yeah on sunday um are you interested in that absolutely absolutely uh i thought you know i will say this um i remember like 1996 we'd come in sunday afternoon for practice or whatever we had a game saturday night and it was amazing to watch 20 guys you have a bulls game on right on abc or whatever channel it was on and it'd be literally 20 guys, hockey players, professional athletes in the, in the, at the same time as Michael Jordan. And we'd be just glued to the TV. That's what this guy was. Yeah. I, even to other athletes. I mean, that's, that's what he was. So, I mean, listen, he, he's the goat. Sorry, LeBron. I don't care if people don't like to hear it. I'm a basketball dad to a girls. Uh, when you're six for six with six MVPs um, and you took a year off in between three of them, you're the goat. That's yeah. all. I'm looking forward to a 10-part series. I think they're doing two of them every Sunday night, Jace, for a while. Yeah. So I, are you looking forward to that? I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I love when they peel back the curtain on, on stuff like that, on greatness. That's always interesting to me. Um, one last thing. Um, a lot of people have been watching old games, and I saw you tweet out that the older, the better. Um, but one of yeah. the old, old classic games is, happened back in, um, what was it, uh, March 5th, 2004, and I go back and I look at the box score, but you only played three minutes and 22 seconds in the Flyers-Senators brawl game. Uh, did you get hurt in that I game? I did. I hurt. I hurt. Dude, you know what? I, I actually – so that was – I actually got traded. After that, the following week, I would actually dislocated my shoulder, my left shoulder in the first period. Oh. And I had to go back. It was in a sling. And that's when the whole thing had come out in the third. Like, I was in – I couldn't even think that game. My shoulder was so sore, so bad. I had, to, I had not popped back in, but I had it in the, literally had it in the sling. So I missed all the fisticuffs at the end. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know that. I, I was looking initially. First period. Yeah, I'm looking, in, I'm looking in the penalty summary, and I don't see you show up anywhere. And I go down, I look at the, and I say, three minutes, 22 seconds, and five shifts. I'm going, well, you must have got hurt in that game. So you missed out on all those uh, craziness while, you know, everybody, hand Zeus is going out, throwing them, and uh, Patrick Sharp. I remember watching it, Yeah. Yeah. I remember Johnny LeClaire and Wade Redden. Yeah, and, and Recky pummeled somebody, I believe, too. Wow. There was a, it, was a, it was a beauty. Yeah, that was the longest was end of a game ever. <laughs> but uh, well worth it. It was. It, it, oh, yeah, it was great stuff. Yeah, nobody, nobody got up and got a coffee after that one, huh? <laughs> no doubt about it. Uh, a lot of people oh, icing but, their knuckles. Uh, who's uh, the handicapping to win the uh, the Terry and Championship over there? I know your girls are playing a lot of hoop. You're doing some good play by play, man. 
I am. I, and you see how they come at me too? Like I can't, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm filming. I'm doing a little bit of play-by-play for everybody watching. And then I've got the girls. I'm also coaching at the same time, which I, I listen to. My, my level of basketball knowledge is like a 0.5 out of 10. Uh, I just tell them to make sure they get the rebounds. And if the shot's open, take it. Um, but yeah, this week we'll get going. I mean, they're, yeah, I think we're going to try to play a game this week. I've had so many people were sending me like requests to see more. It's sports, it's fun, and uh, that's what they do. So why not share it with uh, with people during this really difficult time? It has been Johnny Leclerc was right. Uh, it's amazing that there's been no uh, no sports, uh, which is just crazy. And you talk about a classic, Jace. I have to. I, I got to tell you. I mean, talk about Philadelphia greatness. Uh, I did watch the, the uh, Ali Frazier three. On ESPN, uh, it was which was just something else. I mean that that's that's as good a fight as you're going to find anywhere. Oh yeah, it's great stuff. I'm waiting for Vegas to put a line on your driveway game so I can put a little wager down. So <laughs> <laughs> this week, this week, uh, this week, I think we're going to be up again as long as the weather uh, stays good. I think it's going to rain a couple of days, so we'll try to pick and choose. Yeah, and for those that don't know, your girls can play hoop at a seriously high level. <laughs> There's no doubt yeah, about that. It. Uh, hey, Bundy, thanks yeah, for doing this, man. We'll talk to you soon. And uh, thanks for do- jumping in on the Claire profile. Shane Gossespera, much more. We appreciate it. Jace, anytime. Best of the family, buddy. Stay safe. And I know we'll see each other soon. Always good time catching up with Bundy. Uh, great stories. And uh, for a guy that was, uh, his job was to shut down Yarmir Yager, one of the elite players, second leading scorer in the game's history. Uh, always great to get his perspective on uh, Shane Gossespierre on player profiles and a ton more. And he and I are both on Money Heist, so can't beat that. Uh, we did a player profile last Friday on Derek Grant. Of course, he uh, was acquired by the Flyers at the trade deadline, played seven games with the Flyers, 15 combined goals between the Flyers and Anaheim Ducks this season. Didn't get a chance to get uh, get to him before his player profile on Friday, but had a chance to catch up with him late Friday afternoon. And here's my conversation with Flyer Derek Grant. Joining us right now, we did his player profile just the other day. Uh, Derek Grant joins us right now. Live from Newport Beach. What's going on out in California, Derek? Oh, not too much. Just uh, at the moment sitting outside. We got a little puppy, so I'm sitting outside with him uh, having a coffee this morning. What? Um, you're three hours behind, so it's earlier for you. But um, or uh, what kind of dog did you get? Uh, we got a little mini Australian Shepherd. Nice. He's, uh, yeah, he's he's a, he's a pretty good dog so far. He's uh, he's a quick learner. So what'd you name him? Coots? Uh, his name's Camus. Oh, nice. Good name. Um, what's, yeah. it like, what's it like trying to train a puppy when you have a stay-at-home quarantine going on? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a good time to do it because you have lots of time to spend with them. But, uh, you know, we try to, try to leave them alone and stuff as well, um, get them used to that. And, and uh, it's a little bit difficult, obviously, socializing them is the, is the toughest thing right now. But, uh, you know, we're trying to do the, the best we can with them. Yeah, social distancing uh, is uh, is our way of life right now, and by virtue that affects the dog. Um, first of all, you're out in California. They were one of those states to really shut down early. Uh, is is this what's the sentiment like out there? Kind of the mood in California. Not that you've been out like kind of talking to people all the time, but what's it been like uh, out in, out on the West Coast as opposed to the East Coast? Yeah, I mean, it's I haven't uh, you know interacted with too many people um, outside of. The grocery store maybe is probably the only place I really see people, and um, you know it's it's obviously got hit hit pretty hard early, and there was um, you know nothing left on the shelves at all the grocery stores early on, but they're they're getting a little better now. I think people have kind of settled into a a bit more of a routine, and um, you know understand that 
that's that's still going to be there in in a week. So, um, you know, it's calmed down a little bit, but uh, you know, I really though there's everyone's wearing masks and and gloves and um, you know, doing a pretty good job for the most part keeping their distance. Um, when you look at the situation, are you a guy that's following the news real closely, or do you find that that you know you keep tabs on it, or, or are you kind of immersed in it because it can be overwhelming at this time? Yeah, I think you know we kind of went through a phase early of um, you know kind of a morning turn the news on every morning, see what's going on. But, um, you know, now it's, you know, every few days or something, I don't think you want to get too caught up in it. And, um, you know, obviously if, if something big happens or changes, um, you know, there's so many outlets that we'll find out about it, whether it's somebody texting us or, or Twitter or, or somewhere on, on social media that, uh, you know, you probably don't need to be too, too glued to the news channel every morning. Your guy, man, your life, you, you get traded to the Flyers at the deadline from Anaheim. So we all know that's by coastal. And then, you know, you play seven games for the Flyers, you're really finding your footing five points in those seven games. And boom, this happens. What, what was it like kind of when the pause happened and you guys go, I keep using the reference kind of a hundred miles an hour to a standstill. What's that, what's that been like for you? Like kind of mentally to deal with? Yeah, no, it's, it's been tough. I think, uh, you know, it's it's different when it's, um, you know, April if you're not a playoff team or, or um, you know, it's it's even different when you lose out of the playoffs or, or what have you. But you know it's coming at some point, um, you know, in April or, or beyond. And I think you kind of, you know, slowly get prepared for it that way. Or, or if you're not a playoff team and, you know, April 6th or 7th or whatever it is, um, you know, you're done and your body's preparing and, and you're getting ready to take that time off and, and um, you know, reset. But, you know, when it comes – in the middle of a push that you're pushing and it's, you know, you're playing basically playoff hockey through, through March. And we were playing so well, it's, uh, you know, it's tough. You're, you're preparing every day, um, you know, for playoffs and for playoff games and, and uh, just have that taken away, um, you know, so abruptly from one, you know, we took a flight down to Tampa, I think when we were playing a game and, and all of a sudden we're flying home, um, you know, the next day or, the, or two days later without playing. And, and then, uh, you know, the next day I'm flying back to California because, um, you know, they're postponing the season. So it, uh, it's been tough. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's never easy when it's, it, it comes as a surprise and, uh, you know, it's tough because we're trying to stay in shape, but, but also rest at the same time, um, you know, to be ready when, when we get this thing fired back up, if we do. Uh, let's talk about that real quick. What are you trying to do to stay in shape? It's, it's tough. You're, you're limited. You obviously can't get on the ice. You haven't had skates on the ice maybe since that morning skate on the 12th of March, um, you know, what's it like trying to do something to stay in shape at this time? Yeah, it is tough. I mean, um, you know, you kind of have to treat it as, and and the thing that's tough is you don't have a timeline. I think Um, for a lot of guys, you know, you, you have your summer routine where, okay, I'm doing this in the gym for this month and then I'm going to progress into this and then get on the ice and, and you have a routine set, but when, when you don't know if it's starting in a month or two months or, or three months or whatever, um you know it's tough to prepare so for me we have a we have a peloton bike here so um you know i jump on that i I finished my ride already this morning so um you know i like to get up and do that in the morning and then you know whether it's uh some yoga or some some weights and strength stuff um later on or whatever you try to try to do a little bit uh you know every day and get a good sweat um you know try to stay in in the best shape you can and and obviously um, we know that if, if we're going to start back up, they'll give us uh, a decent amount of time anyways to get back on the ice and, and get, uh, you know, in a little bit of better game shape uh, just to, to avoid injuries and, and be the best that we can. You fall out of hockey shape 
pretty quick. Like you can do all, you know, the Peloton and all that stuff, but you, hockey shape's a different thing. How's it been for you yeah. kind of, you know, mentally, are you treating like this period of time um, almost as an off season? Because, you know, we've heard some, some news circulate and Gary Bettman and Bill Daly have, have alluded to it too, that if this could get pushed to July and have a, a July, August playoff. So are you almost treating this mentally as uh, as an off season or is that almost dangerous because, you know, you can come back at, at any time really with some notice, but uh, to get back and, you know, you want to be ready to go. Yeah, I think, I think you kind of have to do a little bit of both. I think, um, you know, not treating it as an off season, you're going to drive yourself crazy. But, uh, you know, if you take your foot off the gas too much, then um, season starts back up and it's, it's going to take you a little while to get going. So I think you kind of have to find that balance where, you know, you can enjoy um, your time off and, and getting the rest. And, you know, it's, it's great for a lot of guys that have been banged up or, or had some injuries that were going to hold them out for, for a round or two. So, um, you know, for those guys, they're probably, you know, happy with this right now and they can get back and, and be involved. But, um, you know, for everyone else, I think it's, you have to, you have to mentally kind of try to step away, but, uh, you know, at the same time, like be engaged and be ready to, you know, at the drop of a hat, okay, we got a week or two and then we're back on the ice and, and, uh, you know, make sure your body's, um, in tune that uh, you know when you get back on the ice for practice you're not gonna you know pull a groin or, or a hip or something so when you became a member of the flyers uh, at the deadline and, and you know you come from Anaheim and they obviously were, are playing out the string so maybe their mentality during this pause would be a lot different than the flyers uh, you guys won nine of your last 10 games um, you, you're headed towards the playoffs with the number two seed you got some home ice this team's 25 six and four at home you're a team that feels like it can do some damage um, you know, how, how important is it for you guys to, to get into these playoffs and see what kind of run you can go on? Uh, you've been in the playoffs before, uh, but th- this is a real opportunity with, with this group that you guys have assembled right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why, um, you know, for us, it's, it's, uh, it's things a little bit extra. I think, um, you know, when you're on a run like that and you're, and you're making a push in the last, um, you know, 30 days of the season and um, getting excited and, and with a group, uh, you know, like we have, it's, uh, you know, it stinks. Um, it, it is different, I think, talking to guys that, uh, you know, are on the outside of playoffs and, and uh, you know, having 10 games left in the season. And, um, you know, they're not, uh, you know, they're not as antsy to get back or, or whatever. But, uh, you know, I think it's tough for everybody, but especially when, you know, you feel like you have, um, you know, a team that can go on a long run and make a good push for it. Uh, you know, especially, um, you know, I talked to Nate Thompson uh, quite a bit and, you know, for us coming coming in late and joining joining a team, uh, you know, we were having a blast and um, jumping into a team, uh, you know, that was that was winning hockey games uh, almost on a nightly basis, um, and then to have it come to a stop, it's uh, it's, it's it's not fun, that's for sure. Well, the fun part, yes, is going to that team that's winning those games. Uh, obviously, unprecedented circumstances here, Derek. Um, talk about you know getting involved with with the Flyers and this group. Is there any particular player or, or something that you found surprising or you saw a guy be like, wow, man, he's even better, a better player, the way he prepares, the way he deals with everything on a daily basis and kind of impressed you even more than prior to being here? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think a number of guys, and I think you notice it, um, you know, when you switch teams, when you, you know, you play a guy once or twice a year, you're like, oh yeah, this guy's obviously good, but, or you see him on the highlights, but when you spend every day with guys, um, you know, I think you find find a few guys on every team that really surprised you and um obviously everyone knew guys like Provi and, and TK um you know were great players but I think you know 
getting in the room and seeing those two guys every day, you know, they've, um, you know, they've definitely impressed me even more. Yeah. A guy like Sean Couturier too is one of those understated oh, yeah. humans, but he's like subhuman and, and the way <laughs> he plays the sport, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I always knew he was, he was as good as he is just because, um, you know, I pay, always paid a little bit extra attention to centermen, especially, um, you know, shut down centermen and guys that can play both sides of the ice. Uh, you know, I always like to watch those guys play. So, um, to be a teammate with him and, and be able to watch him every day, it's, it's been a privilege. I love the the route that you took to the NHL. You know, you played a couple of years in the BCHL. You're a British Columbia kid. What was that like playing in the BCHL, kind of being a hometown boy? Yeah, it was it was fun. I mean, I, I played um, in a town about 30 minutes from my hometown, and I ended up billeting with a family out there because I wanted to be closer with my teammates. Um, I think my billet, my billet family house was about 15 minutes to the rink and my, my parents' house was about 25. So <laughs> didn't make a huge difference. But, uh, you know, after, after practice and stuff, I could hang out with the guys a little bit easier and, um, you know, get closer with them. So uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, and then obviously from there, I went, uh, you know, pretty far away from home for the first time to college. So, um, you know, that was a big switch. What was it like playing for Sparty at Michigan State? Yeah, it was it was awesome. I mean, um, I think college sports, the atmosphere is is unbeatable. Um, you know, at any level um, and in any sport, I think it's just you know that atmosphere um, is just so much fun to be a part of, and um, you know, have that school spirit. And and you know, I enjoyed going to a uh, a Big Ten school with you know a big football program and a big basketball program. Just um, you know, I think it brought the school together, and uh, you know, there's always something going on. Yeah, you get great facilities with that too. As a guy that went to Penn State, uh, another Big Ten school, yeah, it's it's yeah. a tremendous, you know, the athletics that go on at schools. And the facilities too are great. Uh, you played a couple of uh, years uh, in Binghamton. Was that the great Broom Arena up there after the Binghamton Senators? Yeah, it sure was. I think when <laughs> I got there, it was it was almost untouched from when it was built. And then by the time I left, it had, um, you know, been pretty much fully upgraded and, and uh, dialed in, so. I saw the transformation of it and, you know, it was always a fun rink to play in. It's small, the fans are right on top of you. So it was always fun on the play. Yeah, it is a great barn. Um, in your seven years, you played for a lot of different teams. Um, do you have uh, all the jerseys of the teams that uh, displayed in, in your home yet? <laughs> you got quite a lot. Uh, no, I, you know what I, yeah, you know what I don't, but you know, I've, I've uh, definitely made, made a point that I'm going to do that. Uh, one day I've told people I don't even need to paint the wall. I don't think there's going to be so many jerseys on it, but uh, no, it's, it's fun. I mean, um, it's been, uh, it's been a different route than a lot of guys and it's been an interesting career, but uh, you know, I've, I've enjoyed it every step of the way. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, helped me grow into the player I am. And, um, you know, I've made a lot of good friends uh, throughout it as well. Yeah, and you've seen a lot of really cool cities as well. I mean, you were in Nashville, Anaheim, obviously. You live in there in Newport Beach, and, uh, you know, you, you were in Pittsburgh for a period of time, some, some cool places, Calgary. Um, let, let's talk real quick about, the, you know, you're going to be a free agent this offseason. Um, the opportunity may be there to extend with the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, would that be something that you would welcome? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, everyone that's a UFA right now is, is a little uncertain with what's going to go on and what's yeah. going to happen, so – um, you know, I think that's that's something that we haven't even really thought too far ahead with. I think, you know, the first things first is if we're going to, um, you know, finish the season out. And if we can, obviously, uh, you know, playoffs and, and winning a cup's the only thing that uh, I'm focused on right now. And, um, you know, I think the, 
the better you do there, the the better the outcome um, come free agency for all of us. And, um, you know, I think that's just the, the main goal for us right now. Yeah, you're having a good offensive year too, 15 goals and, um, uh, you know, a, a guy that can take key face-offs and, you know, you're going you're gonna to be a marketable guy out there. If this does get stretched until the end of September, say a playoff were to happen and then you guys have a month basically between seasons, is that tough for a free agent because – it's not a lot of time to, you know, have a draft, free agency period, get into a camp and all that stuff. That, that, that's going to be a little bit more stressful, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, in a way it might be, might be a good thing because you don't have too much time to think about it. Um, sometimes if you're, if you're knocked out in April and you're a free agent, like I have been in the past, it's, it's a long couple of months, a uh, few months from, from April to July 1. So um, it's, uh, you know, it might be a blessing in disguise for us, some of us just, you know, you just play and, and don't have to think too much about it. Yeah. Well, that's, you're right. The instinctual decision sometimes is the right decision and your brain can get in the way overanalyzing power, uh, you know, just overanalyzing the whole situation and you end up making a bad decision. Well, Derek, I mean, yeah. seven games with the flyers so far, and I hope you get to play uh, a lot more. Uh, and I know everybody does and get this game back on the ice. Do you, do you have a gut feeling whether you guys are going to end up coming back? You're an optimist in that regard? <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm definitely an optimist, and um, you know, it's it's just one of those things that I don't know if anybody really knows um, what's going to happen right now. And obviously, there's a lot of um, logistical hurdles that uh, are going to have to be be uh, found a way to jump over. So, um, you know, obviously, uh, we're all we're all preparing for it, and we're ready for it, and hopeful for it. So, um, you know, obviously, just have to keep an open mind that way, and and uh, you know, try to stay as ready as we can. All right, last question. Um, did you watch Tiger King, and do you have any suggestions for the people that are uh, <laughs> nestled in the home of any good shows that you've uh, come across or, or kind of quirky movies? <laughs> we, we did watch Tiger King. Oh, um, what a beauty yeah, he was, right? It. It, was, uh, it, was, it was something, that's for sure. Um, we just finished uh, Ozarks, which is um, you know probably one of the best shows series I've watched. So Shocker I'm sure a lot of people have already seen it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's one that uh, keeps you interested. We had to we had to put ourselves to bed and and force ourselves to to stop watching a few times. Um, you know, we'd stop in the middle of an episode because we knew we couldn't couldn't go to the end, or we'd be watching another one. So yeah, it's a it's a good one if you haven't seen it. Yeah, I'm on Money Heist right now, and if you can get past kind of the fact that it's dubbed from another language, it takes like two episodes yeah. to to even get past that. But it's that's a pretty cool show too. So I highly recommend it. Yeah, I'll check that one out. <laughs> All right, brother. Hey, Derek, man, I appreciate you joining us. Um, hopefully you get back here on the East Coast soon enough and you guys can get some sort of training camp in and get these playoffs going, man. I know a lot of people want to get the game back on the ice, yourself included. Thanks for taking the time and uh, stay healthy for me, all right? You bet. Thanks a lot. Another edition of Flyers Daily in the books. Thanks to Derek Grant for joining us from uh, sunny Newport Beach, California, and uh, Chris Terrian joining us as well on this episode. And uh, player profiles will continue coming up on Wednesday. And, of course, we'll be following all the news and everything else around the NHL as it happens, as we get information. We'll talk about it here on Flyers Daily as well. In the meantime, everybody, thanks for listening. Leave us a rating and review. That helps other Flyer fans find this podcast if they do not already know about it. Uh, Also, make sure you subscribe as well. Everybody, stay healthy, and thanks for listening.